Welcome to Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax podcast. In this series, we talk to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals about the latest developments in the world of tax. I'm your host, Andrea Ben-Yosef, and we're excited that you're here with us today. Welcome back. This is part two of the podcast with George Karabjanian and Richard Franklin of Franklin Karabjanian and Law PLLC in Florida and D.C. And this is part two of a podcast about alimony, prenups, and alimony trusts. In this section, we'll talk about alimony trusts, slats, and lifetime Q-tips. And this is based on an article written by them called Alimony, Prenuptial Agreement, and Trusts Under the 2017 Tax Act, in the May 10th Estates, Gifts, and Trust Journal. So let me start with you, George. What's an alimony trust? So often in a divorce setting, um, the payor spouse may be hesitant to just give alimony away. Perhaps it's better served that they put a sum of money aside, and that'll be in, say, an income trust for the recipient spouse, and that will satisfy for alimony. An alimony trust also could be something not set up for purposes of the divorce. Suppose that the couple did estate planning, say in 2014, or let's go back to 2012, uh, where they would have provided for an income trust for the, for the recipient spouse. That may be enough where they say, guess what? We're not going to pay alimony because you're getting income from this prior trust that's more than enough, and the courts would say that is sufficient, and that satisfies any state law alimony requirement. So that's commonly what you would see is what's referred to as an alimony trust. Okay, so Richard, what is the current law and when do the changes go into effect? Well, the current law for the kind of trust that George described is that after divorce, there was a provision in the code, section 682, that gave sort of parity to the alimony rules. And under 682, because <clears throat> this trust was paying income to the, the divorcing spouse, and it was sort of used as a replacement vehicle for alimony. This section 682 said that income would be paid, would be taxed to the to that spouse that was receiving it. And there's a provision in the grantor trust rules that was also sort of implicated here. And when you create a trust for your spouse, and that the the trust document says income or principal can be paid to that spouse. There's a rule in the grantor trust rules 677 that would tax the income of that trust to the settlor spouse, the grantor spouse, under the grantor trust rules. But this section 682 would trump the grantor trust rules to, in effect, impose the income tax on the income that's being paid to the spouse as an alternative to alimony or sort of a a pseudo-alimony that, um, so the the, the payee spouse, in effect, had to pay the income tax, which was analogous to the situation of it being, you know, uh, actual alimony. But now, under the new tax legislation, uh, you know, concomitantly with the, the repeal of, of Section 71 and 215, Section 682 is also repealed. So what did that mean? Well, let, let me expand on that and just to paraphrase David Letterman when he used to quote the guy who would put you in on the cyclone, (laughs) hang on to your wigs and keys because this is going to get a little bumpy. (laughs) So 
the prop, there's an interplay with several grantor trust provisions that get us to 682. Uh, 677A1 would say it's a grantor trust. If any income could be paid to the grantor or the grantor's spouse. So who is the grantor's spouse? There you go back and look at 672E1 cap A if you're scoring at home. Under there, it basically says who was the spouse at the time the interest was created. Nope, that's it. There's no provision about well, what happens if there's a divorce. So there's a common belief that even if there is a divorce, if an interest was created and where a spouse could receive the income and that person was a spouse of the settlor, it's still going to be a grantor trust even in the event of divorce. It's called the spousal unity rule. Problem is, and ACTEC has done a great job now of really dissecting this, spousal unity rule relies, you can also go back to the definition of income. Income is under subpart E, it's in 671 of the code. 682 is in subpart F. So A, what is income? We think it means taxable income, but we're not sure. The spousal unity rule, further, has sort of been dissipated in other provisions of the grantor trust rules, but not all of them. There's been no global statement saying the spousal unity rule ends on a divorce. And let me, let me jump in for a second, George. The reason we have to go back to these grantor trust rules is in the absence of Section 682. 682 mm -hmm. would trump the grantor trust rules. So we, didn't, we weren't previously concerned about this in these situations, but now we're having to go back to this analysis that George is involved in. So that's because it took away the tax deduction for the person paying the alimony? No. Here's, okay. here's, here's, <laughs> the, here's the, the key to all of this. So let's assume that that whole interplay of 677A1 and 672E1A, what that would do in a trust where income could be paid to the spouse, it's going to make it a grantor trust to the payor spouse. So let's say the spouse has created an inter vivos Q-tip in 2015, or even a SLAT, which we're going to discuss later. Just explain what the inter vivos Q-tip is. Inter vivos Q-tip is a trust where the income would be paid to a spouse. Property is transferred into a trust, much like a testamentary Q-tip trust. You could qualify that for the gift tax marital deduction under Section 2523 paren F. That means you could put $5 million into a trust if the income is paid to the spouse and meets the regular Q-tip requirements, not, a, not going to be paid using any exemption or exclusion. It's going to qualify for the gift tax marital deduction. When the spouse dies, it's included in the spouse's estate. Furthermore, we are all familiar with creating spousal lifetime access trusts back around 2012 when we all thought that the applicable exclusion amount was going to fall from $5 million back to $1 million. And those are slats. Those are slats. We were creating those trusts to sort of keep money within the family unit but still use exemption. What happens 2018 if there's a divorce? The divorce occurs now. Let's think about it. Income is paid to the spouse, who's now an ex-spouse. But under the rules I just explained, it's a grantor trust to the payor spouse. That doesn't seem exactly fair. So Section 682 would say, well, if income is received by the spouse, and again, what is income? Let's assume it's taxable income. Then 682 would override the grantor trust rules and say, 
okay, recipient spouse, you're paying the taxes on that. Life is good. Oops, Tax Act of 2017, 682 is repealed as of January 1, 2019. What this means is for those types of trusts, there's no longer an out clause. It's going to remain a grantor trust, even though that's the payor spouse is never seeing any, any semblance of the income coming. Which means the payor spouse is paying the tax on it. Correct. Which is a drastic change from how it was or how it is now until 2019. Right. It makes it a lot less clear about what the result is now. And, and we go back to this idea that George mentioned earlier about the spousal unity rule. And under existing law, it's never been clear whether under 672E, after a divorce, whether that spousal unity rule applied. There was some people who thought that it, it may. Others thought it may not. And now the IRS needs to tell us, you know, in effect. And they're, they're receiving comments from, you know, some of the groups, um, including the American College of Trust and State Council um, and the ABA as well, you know, asking that this rule be clarified. If, it, if divorce does cut the grantor trust rule as to Section 677, then you have to look to see whether the trust has any other grantor trust triggers that still may tax the trust to the, the grantor spouse. If there are not any other grantor trust triggers and the spousal unity rule is broken, then the trust will be taxed like a normal trust, a normal separate taxpaying entity. And if the income is distributed to the beneficiary spouse, it'll be taxed and carried out to, uh, to that beneficiary spouse. If it's capital gain income, it might be taxed inside the trust at the trust rates. So I'll ask you the same question that I asked at the end of part one of this podcast. What should people be advising their clients to do right now in regards to that, if anything? Well, it's a really complicated point, but for existing trusts that are out there where the couple's not expected to divorce this year, you know, they could go back and review those and see if there's any change that is needed. You know, an example of that would be in the case of the lifetime Q-tip. One possibility would be that the couple enter into a postnuptial agreement that says the, the payee spouse, the beneficiary of the Q-tip, will agree to reimburse the, the grantor spouse for any income tax liability. And that would be one way to solve it. Maybe even say that that reimbursement constitutes an alimony payment so that it gives it more enforcement protection in the case of the actual divorce. In other cases, it'll simply be another thing that needs to be negotiated at the time of actual divorce. And so are there any way to negotiate out of this to make sure the provisions are as both parties want? It's, it's easier to do this with a slat than would be an inter vivos Q-tip trust. And just to follow up on something Richard said, if they could agree to a postnuptial agreement, you would want that type of provision to be included in the divorce decree. Because if now that payment coming back, and if it's, let's say it's a substantial trust, and the income taxes are over the annual exclusion amount, that would be a taxable transfer coming from recipient spouse to payor spouse because they're no longer married. But if you can include it as part of the, the divorce decree, now section 2516 of the code would say it's a transfer incident to a divorce, not taxable gift. With a slat, there's a couple ways to fix this, if, if you can. 
the trust should have what I call a death on divorce clause. Many trusts have them. I'm, I'm surprised in my reviewing of trusts, a lot of them do not. You would want to have a clause in the back that said in the event of a divorce, the spouse is deemed to have de deceased. Cut off the spousal interest. This way it would go probably to the children. But what, if the spouse is no longer receiving any income, you've knocked out 677A, which would knock out the grantor trust rule. Another thing to do would be possibly if you can't reform it, maybe decant it if you're in a state that has decanting. You could have the trustee, you can create a new trust with the particular provision. The trustee would pay the principal of the trust over to that new trust. Under every state decanting statute, this I think would be allowable even if the principal invasion were limited to health maintenance or support, the traditional ascertainable standard. With the inter vivos Q-tip, you can't do that type of provision because the minute you put a restriction on the income interest, that's going to terminate Q-tip status, and that's going to cause, what is it, 25, 9, section 2519, an immediate transfer tax as if the spouse had died. So the entire value now will be subject to uh, gift tax. That we would want to avoid. And that's why I think the best you could hope to do is have that reimbursement provision included. It's, it's, if they're not contemplating divorce whatsoever and there's an income trust out there, that's going to be very tough to accommodate accommodate the payor spouse after January 1, after December 31, 2018. And if that's not complicated enough, there could be situations where a SLAT, for example, was created and the only grantor trust trigger was the beneficiary interest of the, the payee spouse. You know, the, the, the SLAT simply says the trustee can make distributions of income and principal to the spouse and any of the descendants. That triggers holy grantor trust status under Section 677 while they're married. If the spousal unity rule is, if the IRS confirms that that rule no longer applies in the event of a divorce, then the trust is no longer a grantor trust anymore. And if the, the grantor spouse had sold assets to the trust, the so-called sale to defective grantor trust technique, and took back a promissory note, then that termination of grantor trust status may trigger an actual sale at that point in time and income tax exposure on the what was previously sold that's a not that may not be a perfectly clear question uh, and it also may uh, disallow the trust from owning S corp stock under the rule that if it's a holy grantor trust it automatically qualifies as an S corp owner so the concerns go both ways on, on this, and it's really changing the dynamic you know, of the existing law. It's been my experience. I've spoken with a couple of family law lawyers. This is not something they may have considered. Alimony they may have thought about, and it's just more reason they now realize in a divorce they need to bring in the accountants, they need to bring in the estate planners, bring in the tax lawyers to consider these various interests. A lot of times you will see on a statement of assets or what the couple had, they may refer to a trust, but they never thought about the taxability. Plus, Richard mentioned, let's hope that this is the only grantor trust trigger. Because what if you have the, let the let's say, the lending power that's in the trustee, as opposed to the substitution power of the grantor, what if the trustee doesn't want to relinquish the lending power? 
let's say the trustee may be aligned with the payee spouse. Now you've got a problem where you can't undo grantor trust status. So it's very, it's more complex, I think, than I would have hoped that Congress realized, and it's certainly more complex than most practitioners realized. So basically there's a lot to think about this year, a lot to think about in the new um, year co coming, and people need to really talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. Yes, one, one solution that a family law lawyer told me he was trying was if they're contemplating divorce, to try to get a separation agreement in place. Separation agreement fits within the definition which would apply for the grandfathering. So if they get a separation agreement in place, great. If they try to incorporate it into a divorce decree, does that qualify for grandfathering? Who knows? The other thing you want to do is if they're getting divorced this year, I would reference every single trust that could be subject to the 682 rule referred to in the agreement. Now you clearly are trying to get within grandfathering, keep 682 alive in that instance. There's one other point I'd make, Andrew. That that there are many uses of lifetime Q-tips where this concern about Section 682 doesn't necessarily raise a big specter. It's an additional thing that people have to worry about going forward in the future in creating these trusts. And I'll give you one prime example that's um, of use at this point in time. Right now, a lot of people in our world are helping clients use this initial, uh, additional exemption amount that became available where the the lifetime exclusion amount was doubled at the beginning of this year. And so you might be in a second marriage situation, for example, where I have a wife who has 11.18 million of gift exemption that I could use. And the way I could, I could give her $11 million for her to make a gift to my children. But I love her absolutely, but I'm not sure I wanna give her $11 million outright for her to make a gift to my kids. So I could create a lifetime Q-tip for her, make the gift tax Q-tip election, so there's no tax on my transfer to the trust for her benefit, and then a little while later, she simply signs a document that says, I release my interest in the trust. That causes a gift by her of the $11 million trust to my children. And that, you know, we only contemplate that trust being in existence a short period of time. So it uses her exemption without risking the pool of assets, you know, being at her complete disposal, and it goes to my kids. So section, the, the loss of Section 682 as a planning provision here isn't that much of a concern. And then it ends up in a trust that's a grantor trust as to me, as to my children. So it's even better than had I given them the money outright. So there, there are solutions to some of these problems. Well, thank you both to George and Richard for being here with me today. This was a fascinating discussion on alimony trusts and slats and Q-tip trusts. And we hope you'll also listen to the first part of our podcast, which was about alimony and prenuptial agreements. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Tax. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more analysis on the newest tax issues. From the nation's capital, I'm Andrea Benyosef.